Ronananian. I was wondering why uh, I cannot get a car without power steering and also wondering why a number of other good features back in the 1950s can, are no longer available. Something is going on in there, and I'm having a hard time figuring out how to diagnose this since it's an intermittent problem. The problem here is that onboard computers have taken over the car. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. Pick up the phone, give us a call, leave a message. Executive producer, one and only, no baloney, not a phony. Tom Ray will call you back and get you in queue for the next live broadcast. If we happen to miss you this week, and um, that's the deal, 855-560-9900. Cardoctorshow.com for all the podcasting and streaming and other uh, affiliate information and um uh, we can kind of take it from that moment on. Went on a road trip to nowhere real quick uh, this week. Uh, uh, had to go upstate New York. I was talking about this in the previous hour. And um, had to go upstate New York. Upstate New York to Rhinebeck, exit 19, Kingston. Went off over the big bridge, and uh, Tom's yelling at me. That's not upstate, but that's between him and me. And uh, went to a really neat place, Gardner Exhaust. i got to tell you about Gardner Exhaust because it was kind of exciting. It's it's. It's it's really neat. It dawned on me what Eric Gardner and his crew are doing. They they are a manufacturing company for muscle car exhaust. They're making exhaust systems. You know, uh, 72 Monte Carlo dual exhaust is what I was after, and that's what they made. Uh, you know, 71 Chevelle dual exhaust, um, uh, Yanko Camaro exhaust systems, Corvette exhaust systems, Mopar exhaust systems, Roadrunners, and, and, and so forth. And in talking to Eric and Chris and, and getting a feel for how they do things, I said, so let me ask you this. If I fall in love with your exhaust in terms of fit and finish and polish and sound and so forth, could you do one for the 55, for the 55 Chevy? And I said, you know, it's a it's a 383 stroker motor and a five-speed Tremec, and, you know, maybe I want the exhaust changed out. And he said, no, we don't do that. I said, but you're an exhaust company. And he said, no, no. He says, you don't understand what we do. He says, we reproduce and manufacture exhaust systems the way the factory manufactured it for those vehicles back in the day. And I thought about that for a minute, and I, I responded to Eric, and I said, so you're telling me you're manufacturing exhaust for vehicles that have not been on the road for 40 or 50 years, and you're making a living at it? He goes, oh, yeah. And he started to rattle off. This week they shipped out um, an exhaust system for a Yanko Camaro, for a GTO Judge, for a Corvette, for a... Uh, you know, a roadrunner and so forth. And he says, yeah, he goes, big demand, big, big demand. And, and the stuff is exact. The, 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 the clamps are right, the hangers are right, the nuts are right where they hold the head pipe to the manifold. Now, they'll do, a, they'll do front pipes for headers. They'll, they'll deal with that. But beyond that, it's factory exhaust. It's really, really amazing. It's nice stuff, too. I got to tell you, it's like a work of art. It's like Picasso, uh, all aluminized pipe. And, um, uh, you know, I was showing it to Tom before I, I, I brought it 
uh, here to the studio, and then I'm going to drop it off at the shop when I take Tony back to the train later. Um, I'm probably going to have to paint the car just to put the exhaust on. It's that nice. Otherwise, it's just like a whole waste. But um, the road trip to nowhere began after that. So, and I like road trips to nowhere. You know, you kind of wander around and bump into things, and, and, and you learn a little bit. After after Gardner Exhaust and Red Hook, we took a ride over and, you know, just which way the car was pointed. And we ended up in Woodstock. Now, I learned something yesterday. Woodstock, New York is not where Woodstock happened. I never knew this. I thought Woodstock, New York was where the concert happened. It was. It's actually in Bethel. An hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half south. Yes, Tom. Yeah, and and uh, they have a very good Woodstock Museum at, at Bethel Woods, which right. you should go to because it's a very interesting story and in how they got thrown out of a couple of towns before they actually got the... Right. Yeah, it, well, it's, it's, it's interesting. And all I could envision is when we went back down the thruway is how the thruway was backed up and closed that day and how many cars were sitting there and people were abandoning their cars and... You know, walking around naked and all the other things that went on back in the day. It was, uh, Tony, keep your clothes on. Tony wants to go to Woodstock. Um, oh, you know, please. Now I need eye, eye bleach. Come right. on, Tony. So, <laughs> um, we, you know, the road trip to nowhere. So we kind of parked and we wandered around Woodstock. And Woodstock is an interesting place. Um, it's, it's, it's a different sort of culture. It kind of reminds me a little bit. It has the same energy as Provincetown, Cape Cod. You know, it's that, you know... Um, uh, free-thinking, different-thinking kind of atmosphere, it seems. And we got to this one restaurant. We went to Sylvia's. If you're ever in Woodstock, New York, go to Sylvia's. It, the, the food was outstanding. But I knew I was in for a treat. Well, I don't know about a treat, but just different stuff. You know, you go on these road trips, you're looking for adventures. Um, when we had to walk around, I guess smoking, is smoking pot legal in, in Woodstock, New York, Tom? Um, but I'm not sure. It, it You know, he was, the guy had a, the guy had a, the guy was smoking marijuana out in front of the place, um, and uh, he didn't know where he was, and we knew where we were, so we avoided him and went around and ended up going to the Sylvia's and had a great dinner. But, um, you know, that was the road trip to nowhere. It, uh, it um, just like, wow, uh, just very different. I got to get out more. Um, little tiny back roads, and you're coming out. You know, we got out of the restaurant at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 7.30 at night, and it's it's kind of dark and twisting, turning, and, um, you know, uh, just just really a different different place is is smoking is is marijuana legal in upstate new york tom or in that I, part of new york i don't think so but, oh. but what i was gonna say you're talking about the back roads if, if you actually go over to bethel where the concert was the roads there haven't changed since the concert there's still one way in one way out one lane either way and when they and they have a big concert venue when they get a concert like elton john with fifteen thousand people you literally don't get out of there for two hours because of the traffic, because it's only two lanes. So it's like going to a Yankees game. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, or, or or the Hamptons on the weekend. I'm sorry, I don't go to the Hamptons. So neither do we. Oh, way way above my pay grade. Um, but in any event, let's get over and kick the garage doors open. Let's go over and talk to Alex Croton, New York. Alex, you're near you're near Red Hook, New York, right? No, you're further south. Yeah. Now, are you upstate New York? If you consider Westchester County upstate, well, I don't know. You're if you're if you're above New York City, aren't you upstate? Isn't that how it works? I'm like where you are, Ron. Okay, it's you know, the, right. uh, you know, everybody that lives in Westchester goes to the city, works in the city. Yeah, I'm just all right. I'm gonna have this argument with Tom for the rest of the week. Anyway, what's going on, Kyle? How can I how can I help? Uh, huge fan, Doctor Ron. Thank you, sir. Huge fan of your show. Thank you. Um, no, I had a very peculiar problem. Um, with my uh, 2011 Ram 2500. Um, 
about a year ago, I was doing some routine service, and then I noticed like this peculiar issue where you put the vehicle in reverse, and you'd feel this like pulsing sensation. It'd just be on flat terrain, you know, foot off the brake pedal, and you'd get this pulsing issue like every few seconds. While you're rolling. Right. Okay. So so you're back and, you're backing up at seven, eight miles an hour and you get a sensation of unevenness? Like an advance. Like the vehicle was just advancing. And when you put it in like four wheel drive it would be more pronounced. Okay. So the the comedy of it was that I brought it to the dealer for some other maintenance stuff, and uh, I said, you know, here's the issue. And I actually specified to have the top mechanic come in and sit in the vehicle because I wanted to show him. And he goes, boy, that's weird. I've never seen anything like that before. So make a long story short, when I got it back, they're like, we don't know what it is. We checked it on our computers. Nothing's coming up. Uh, That's just what they do. Right. Now that is well. Well, it it didn't do it new, did it? No. Right. So does it still do? So, it, is it still doing it today? Well, the, today was the day of discovery. Uh, you know, through some some persistence and toying with some different things, uh, I actually recently had a leak on the coolant lines. Okay. The coolant lines developed a leak. Right. Uh, on the transmission. So the transmission shop took a look at it. They replaced the lines, and he looked at, you know, I showed him the issue, and he said it's either a, a, C, a programming, you know, computer issue or it's a ground issue. So then the ground issue kind of threw off the light bulb in my head, and my truck has, like, accessory lighting. Uh, I put some, like, accessory lights up on a ladder rack system. Right. So that, you know, I can see well when I'm snow plowing and whatnot. Right, sure. And I unplugged them today, and the issue disappeared. So so somehow the addition of those lights is affecting trans control module characteristics. Yeah, like, I, I guess it goes back to that short to ground or some sort of ground interference. Well, either either short to ground or somehow you're loading the ground circuit. Where do you have those lights grounded? <laughs> that I'm not sure about. Um, uh, you know, I had a, you know a slew of different people working on the vehicle over the years. Because so, because what I would do I, is I'd have to investigate that further. Yeah, I would make sure you've got a good body to a body to engine ground and make sure the lights are grounded. I would ground the lights directly to the negative battery post. Okay. All right. Even if you have to run an auxiliary jumper wire just for the moment, you know, because uh-huh. if, if disconnecting them is affecting trans operation then you've got to think about the electrical load you're placing on the circuit at that point. Uh-huh. So, you know, that, that, that's how I'd approach it. I'm surprised it didn't pop any fault codes. If well, it was... that's, that was kind of my segue into the next kind of line of questioning. I'm yeah. using one of these, like, blue driver scan tools. Well, but if you're only looking at OBD2, yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, theoretically that should set, if that's setting a trans fault in pending... It's it, it's not, but right. I did discover a few other codes, and I don't know if that has something related to or not. Well, I'll tell you what. Sit tight. Let me pull over and take the pause. When we come back, we'll talk about it. All right? Don't go anywhere. I'm running Annie in the car, Doctor. We're coming back right after this. For 
the best in car advice, give Ron a call, 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Alex, let's uh, get your, uh, what codes did you have? What codes did you find, babe? I had uh, a B162C. Okay. Low beam control circuit high. S- say that again. I had uh, left low beam control circuit high. Okay. And then I had another one which was like a brake fluid level circuit high and low, which I found that I think it's just a bad sensor inside the reservoir. Well, are you, are you get, are you getting these faults with the light bar hooked up or ever since you disconnected it? Uh, I disconnected the the. Uh, the lights, and I rescanned, and I still get these codes. Okay. Did you clear these codes, and they came back, or you still get these codes you haven't cleared yet? I didn't. I didn't try re-clearing them. Okay. So here's you know, that, that here's, would here's what I would do. I would write everything down so you have it on record. Yep. Clear everything out. Leave yep. the light bar disconnected. Take it for a ride. Rescan it. What comes back? If they all come back, then they've all got to be diagnosed. The, the the left headlight does the left headlight go out every once in a while? No. Okay. No. Um, there there are some issues with, um, and probably the most problematic electrical component on this vehicle is the TIPM, the integrated power module. That was my next question. Yeah, um, real big problems. As a matter of fact, some of these Chrysler's we're not even able to get the parts anymore, and they're like on back order. I've gone through, th- I've yeah. gone through three of them on my Jeep Wrangler. Yeah, yeah. Um, tough to get, uh, tough to get them to last. Never mind even to obtain them. So, um, but that's and 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 here's the argument you always hear me talking about. You know, when you're wiring in aftermarket components, boy, it's just got to be so right now, because it seems like the componentry is so sensitive to alter alterations in the uh, in the electrical circuitry. Uh, you know, so you've got to be careful how you do it. But what I would do is, yeah, well, yeah, that's my problem. I yeah. have between plows and spreaders and right. like seven different things, strobes, everything. Right. You know, it, and, just, and, it and, starts and, to tax the the diagnosing problem. Right, and 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 frankly, because of the environment that this truck is out in, you know, all these all this corrosive material being thrown around while it's out plowing and salting and spreading and everything else. Got to make sure it's got good grounds. Got to make sure that they're clean. Um, here's a here's a case for putting. You're familiar with dielectric grease. Yes. You know, dielectric grease on the ground connections to sort of insulate them. You're familiar with fluid film? Yes. Uh, you know, fluid film, the, the underneath of the chassis to help prevent rust and, you know, general failure. And, you know, yeah. kind of work your way out from there. Uh, you know, but that's that's how I would approach this. You've, you've you know, you, you, you sort of hit on it um, with the light bar. Now you've got to figure out how to make it work. I would talk to the light bar manufacturer and ask them, you know, because I'm sure there's an engineer there too at that company. Ask them when they do this, how do they how do they expect those lights to be grounded and wired up? And that would probably be a very good question to ask to see what kind of because okay. you you can't be the first guy that has this problem. Glory be, Alex, you've right. discovered something. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm right near uh, Bear Mountain. Okay. If you know. Yeah, I know where, where you are. Yeah, now Wednesday, I know where you are. Wednesday night meetup. Yeah. Um, yeah, I might get up there this year. The the problem with Bear Mountain and cruising Bear Mountain is going home, I've got to ride through all the bugs, um, which if I was in the bus, I wouldn't care. But if I was in the hot rod, man, a black car of mosquitoes just don't get along. Um, not, not the next day for cleanup, but we'll see. So if you, if, you hear something bla- if you see something black coming in, it's probably me. Very cool. Thank you, Dr. Brown. All right, kiddo. You're very welcome. You take good care. You need me. You know where to find me. All right? Okay, boss. All right. I'll see you. Bye-bye. Um, yeah, listen. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's almost time 
it's almost time for the Wednesday night cruise at Bear Mountain, New York. Uh, we'll have to look into that, uh, you know, just to, um, I guess it's time to, it might be time to take the hot rod out or start thinking about it. I was I was out uh, getting lunch today uh, for the crew, and there was a red 37 Ford with a blown big block in it sitting in front of the parking lot. And it's sort of like a snowy, cold morning here in the Northeast. I was stunned this guy was out. He must not, either that or... You know, there were flames shooting out of the short header pipes. I think this guy was trying to melt whatever snow was left on the ground. He was just annoyed that, you know, summer isn't here in full force yet. Uh, so, but um, in, in any event, let's, you know, let's move the day along. Hey, real quick, and this comes to us courtesy of uh, Ed Goitis, Goitis Capital. Um, Eddie's a personal friend, and I, I love these comments that he's sending me. Um, so Tesla employees say to expect more Model 3 delays, citing inexperienced workers, manual assembly of batteries, um, Elon Musk, this is an article, where was this published? It was, um, I'm not sure, but I'll find out. I think it was in, uh, was this in CNN? That's almost like news. But anyway, uh, CEO Elon Musk has already uh, has already had to disappoint customers with Model 3 delays due to manufacturing bottlenecks. Um, Gigafactory employees expect we'll have to again. Tesla employees say the company was making batteries for its Model 3 vehicles partly by hand. As recently as mid-December, employees also said that quality control workers were not experienced and two said that some batteries are leaving the factory with serious defects, a claim that Tesla vigorously denies. Tesla's problems with battery production at the company's Gigafactory in Sparks, Nevada are worse than the company has acknowledged and could cause further delays. These problems include Tesla needing to make some of the batteries by hand and borrowing scores of employees from one of its suppliers to help with the manual assembly, said these people. Tesla's future as a mass market car maker hinges on automated production of the Model 3 which more than 400,000 people have already reserved, paying $1,000 refundable deposits to do so. Yikes. Maybe there isn't a Tesla in your future. Maybe we'll go to Mars riding something else. Hello, General Motors. I'm Ron Anady, the car doctor. I'll be back right after this. Join me now as we take a trip back in time and work on something with a carburetor. Let's go over and talk to Adam in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Adam, you're there, sir. Yes, I am. 83 Pontiac Grand Prix. Holy cow. Um, a carbureted car. What's going on here, Adam? Okay, thank you for taking my call. Enjoy listening to your program. Thank you, sir. Okay, legally blind from birth. It's not my car. It's my mother's, my okay. mother's car. She's 80-plus years old. Okay. okay. 73,000 miles on the car. And three months ago, we went to the doctor, which is not a mile away, and the carburetor stuck in the automatic choke position, and the light was on on the dash and said that. Called AAA, and an older person came out you know, in the truck, and uh, they got it started again, and we went directly over to the dealership, and they basically adjusted the carburetor in regard to, I guess, cleaning it or whatever, okay? And when, when we got the car back, the car idles much faster previously before the issue, the car would idle, and you would put it in gear from park to, to drive, and the car would be, you know, very smooth, okay? Now it idles fast, and you put it, you put it in, in drive, and the car, first of all, jumps, and right. the car will go by itself in essence. So what is the correct idle for a car? Well, and to answer that question, we've got to go backwards and, and talk about what this is. This is... 
um, a variable feedback carburetor. There's electronic controls that adjust the mixture, and there are um, there, there's very primitive, by today's standards, feedback control for the fuel delivery system. So the idle speed, if memory serves me correct, and I, there may be two on this, depending upon which tag number carburetor this is. They may, this may have a dash pot or an idle load compensator on the side of the carburetor. So there'd be an ILC or an idle load compensator RPM and then a curb idle RPM. Curb idle was the idea that it was a bare bones just enough to crack the plate open so that the car wouldn't run on. And idle speed control was done at the ILC. It was an extension of... Uh, to open the throttle plate a little bit more. Bottom line, to answer your question, RPM uh, RPM shouldn't really be more than 800. Put it in gear, it's probably going to drop down around seven and a quarter, maybe a little less than that. If someone were to look under the hood, if it's still there, there should be an emissions decal on the radiator support, depending upon you know if it hasn't worn away and that will give you very specifics because the correct way to answer this would be you need to identify the carb number on the side of the carburetor see what there's a eight or nine digits i'm trying to remember now starts with a 17 it'll be 170 something um along a serial number or part number carb and you can identify the procedure for this specific carburetor this is um this is the dark ages adam when it comes to repairing cars, this was the very bad time when the government got involved early and, uh, you know, they mandated electronic controls that were just very difficult to deal with. My guess is the mechanic that worked on it at the dealership or whoever, wherever, probably wasn't born when this fuel system was designed. Um, you know, it's and it's not a matter of age. It's just that if you haven't worked on carburetors, if you haven't worked on this specific system, I, I don't think you would know the technology. I don't think you I don't think you're able to deal with it. Um, I'm old. I, I remember these systems. It was an E4MC or an E2M4C. E2MC carburetor, electronic, two-barrel, um, uh, um, you know, modulated control. I think it was something like that. But, uh, yeah, there's some very specific procedures. So the question becomes, what did they turn, and why is the choke stuck on, which is the second part of this. This is This should be a hot stove or a heated air choke that maybe the choke isn't being pulled off because the coil's not being heated, or it might be an electronic version uh, carburetor. Maybe there's no power to the coil, or maybe the choke coil itself is bad. You know, so is this the regular dealer? Is this your regular mechanic, a dealer where you went? But this is, this is, a, this is the, the GM dealer here in the area. Right. But is this, is this who normally services the car? No. From that standpoint, you know, um, the car was down in Florida for for 20 years, and up up in uh, the Northeast, back here for two years now. Okay, right. So it's not the same person. The carburetor has been rebuilt. But my question though is that when you put it in gear, okay, the car shouldn't you shouldn't really feel a no, push. No, shouldn't bang. bang. I know exactly I what it's doing. doing. It lunges. Yes. Right. It shouldn't do that. Okay, that's, it, that's my point. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It should just you know typically there was a there was a 50 to 75 RPM drop. When you put those cars in gear, uh, you know, so depending upon where it was, you know, depending upon where the base idle went, and sometimes because of the car and the system, you would have to fudge it a little bit because, let's face it, things have worn out a little bit since 1983. Everything's a little different. Everything was very um, specific. I'll, I'll, sh I'll tell you how, and I, and I realize I may be going a little bit too deep into this, but I'll tell you how specific and technical those cars were to adjust. The fuel mixture on those cars 
was electronic control. It was a dwell setting. We use a, something called the dwell meter, and it was electronically done through the, uh, f- through the screws in the um, uh, bottom of the car, the mixer screws. Some of those vehicles, not this particular one, but some of that generation, we had to do propane enrichment where we would actually hook a bottle of propane to the engine, give it enough fuel to see a change in the mixture screws, make our base settings running propane through it, take the propane away, set the base idle, and ship the car because the, the mixture circuit was so lean that just turning it without that propane there wouldn't really give us any definitive difference in how the vehicle operated. Very, you know, I always wondered how it was going to happen. Here we are 40 years later, and I'm seeing it because uh, uh, I always said, I wonder how these vehicles are going to withstand the test of time in, in terms of serviceability. So you've got to get it to a mechanic that understands that system, Adam, that, that will sit down and go through all the adjustments. And I would also tell you that make sure he verifies that the choke does open up properly. This might have a failed, and mention this to whoever works on it, this also might have a failed choke pull-off, which is the vacuum, the little vacuum motor on the side of the carburetor that used to fail all the time, and that helps position the choke flap to allow the engine to run uh, during warm-up. It's it's a constant battle. You know, the choke coil is trying to close the choke. The choke pull-off is trying to open the choke, and the difference is the amount of air that is allowed to come into the engine as it's going through the warm-up process. So, you know, this might have a bad choke pull-off classic uh, General Motors issue of the day. All right, kiddo? One more comment. Sure. In regard to, in regard to would you say, would you believe if I told you that I could notice a difference in the running of the car between running it with ethanol versus just real gas? And we actually put real gas in it because we actually go to the gas station as a real, real gas, not the one that has ethanol blend in it. Okay? Yeah, I would say so. I would believe you. Um, I would believe it because you know it's it's those cars were that sensitive, and you know it's 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 another example of how we struggled to get to where we are and the technology we had to go through. Those cars were um, as they got older, and boy, you know what? You, you better hang on to that carburetor because trying to find replacements today, you just can't. Um, you know, and just uh, as a side note, if they have any trouble setting the idle speed, I do remember. The throttle shaft, the, the the base plates where the throttle shaft goes through, we used to have to bush them and change them then um, because they were so problematic. So, you know, consider that if you have any problems setting up the idle speed. So carburetor guys got to go through it, Adam. That's the bottom line. And then from there you can sort of sort out the problems and see what the dealer created when they tried to adjust it, which I don't think they really did. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Don't call us. That's right. If you call and we're not live, you can leave a message and we'll call you back to get you on the air with Ron. 855-560-9900. Speaking of Ron, here he is. Let's get on over and talk to Christopher in Wyndham, New Hampshire. Christopher, welcome to The Car Doctor. Hi. Hey, how are you? What's going on? Uh, yeah, I got a 02 Ford Ranger. Um, and recently it's starting to uh, sputter when braking. Um, last year I replaced the brakes, the front brakes and rotors. Um, um, and then also too, I had it, um, try to get inspected recently. It says the emergency brake cable is bound. Okay. So Um, when you say, when you say stutter, Christopher, or shutter, are you talking about 
Um, are you talking about, you know, you're doing 55, 60 on the highway and you step on the brake and the steering wheel and the brake pedal shakes? Or you're talking about as you're approaching a traffic light or stop sign, low speed under 10 mile an hour, the pedal starts to buzz and fall out from under you? Uh, the first one. The first yeah, the one. highway. So yes. you've, you've got a shutter shake 55, 60 miles an hour and above? Yes. All right. So when you changed the front pads and rotors, when you did the front brakes a year ago, was it in response to that problem and it didn't get better, or the problem has existed since you did that? Um, I know I just got the vehicle, and I knew it needed um, new brakes and rotors. Okay. Um, but, yeah, the, this problem just started probably about a month ago. All right. You know, is it so you're doing 55, 60, you step on the brake, and the steering wheel starts to shake? Um, I, I, I don't know. It feels like it's more of like, a, I don't know, the back end, I guess. Okay, so you feel it in the seat of your pants. Yeah. All right, so you're feeling it in the seat. Right? You're feeling it yeah. in the seat as you're, as you're driving? Yes. So, and then the other part of the inspection was it said that the parking brake cable was frozen? Yes. Okay, so why can't this be the parking brake is dragging and, you know, that's part of the, that's part of the problem. I'm, I'm losing track of what the, is the question here is what's causing it? Yes, what's causing it when it needs to be replaced. Well, obviously we've got to get the parking brake unstuck. You know, if you're okay. if you're dragging the rear brake, if you're dragging the parking brake, is this a four wheel disc vehicle or front brake, front disc, rear drum? Uh, front brake, uh, disc in the back. And and is I mean drum, drum, drum in, the in the back. back sorry. So that's okay. So I I did it too. So it's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so you know, if you're dragging the parking brake, you're dragging the rear shoes. Yes. So you've probably by now warped the rear drums because you've overheated them because you've been mm -hmm. dri you've been driving with the brake on. So when you step on the brake, you're just personifying or magnifying that warp or that out of round, and it's just experiencing it throughout the vehicle. So the number one rule in auto repair, brother, all right, I don't care how long you've been doing it. I don't care what you're working on. Fix what you know is bad, all right? If, okay. if your intention is to keep the vehicle, fix what you know is bad. Get the parking brake working. Make sure the rear shoes operate properly, you know, that the shoes aren't heat cracked. Take a look at them. Are they cracked anywhere in the bonding where the material meets the, the metal plate? You know, mic the drums. You know, it's a 2002. It's 14 years old, uh, 15, 16 years, 16 years old. Uh, you know, yeah. how many miles? Probably got a couple, you know, 150,000, 200,000 miles on it as a guess. Uh, it's only got 115. Wow, a baby. Um, but, yeah. you know, maybe the drums can be cut and cut safely. Maybe they've got to be replaced. But fix what you know is bad. And then okay. we can have a conversation about the what if, you know, if there's something else going on, all right? Um, you know, there's really not much else there because it's brake-related. I'm still suspect about the fronts, but we'll start with fixing the back first, all right? Okay. And then we'll kind of right. go from there. Give me a call. All right, kiddo? All right, thank you. All right, you're very welcome. Hey, Tom, I want a late-night TV show real quick. Did you know the Car Care Council took a survey? Uh, Late-night TV celebrities ranked by car owners most trusted to work on their cars. Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon topped the list. If you could get me a late-night TV show, I'd be the one they'd pick, and everybody's cars would get fixed, and I'd have TV to talk about. Only if Tony and I can be the guys sitting on the couch. Well, no, because nobody really wants to see you. Oh, see, there you go. So, 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 no, so we can't get you a late-night TV show. Oh. But, you know, the other thing the Car Care Council did, and I know I'm up against the clock, is I'll talk about when I come back about the... Um, Ways to find a good repair shop. Let's do that on the return. I'm Ron Annie, the car doctor. We'll be back right after this. 
Welcome back. We're on Andy the Car Doctor. Let's real quick, let's get over and talk to Lewis in Ohio and uh, see what's going on here. Welcome, Lewis. What's cooking? Yes, good afternoon. I was yes, just sir. wondering about that fellow had a charging problem with his ammeter with a car recently. I've got a D17 Alice tractor. It had a similar situation. It had the generator checked out. And Alice Chumler's mechanic said, run a ground wire from the field terminal on the generator to the frame and the ammeter was working fine. So having make sure the voltage regulator matches the generator. The, my voltage regulator is not the right one for the generator. The engine was replaced, and they did not check out the voltage regulator. I don't know if I'll, I'll probably change the voltage regulator someday, but I haven't yet. Yeah. His problem, and, and you have me at a slight disadvantage because that was the show two weeks ago. We were on, right. we, we were on hiatus, and that was a best of, and I can kind of remember the call. The call was actually from probably three or four months ago, and if I remember it correctly, that, that fellow's problem ended up being when he had the generator rebuilt, they reversed the two terminals in the case, so the two wires were hooked up correctly, but they were going to the wrong terminal ends by virtue of them being flipped around by the rebuilder. Boy, Murphy's Law again. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, if it's... If it can happen, it'll happen. Yep, if it can happen, it'll happen, and you know what, it's not something, uh, It's not. i got to say, it's not something I see an awful lot of, but um, <laughs> right. that's, that's what it ended up being. All right, okay. sir. Appreciate it. You're Thank very welcome. You. you have a good rest of the day. Um, yeah, that was. Uh, I do remember that. That that was the fault of that particular vehicle. Uh, real quick, going back to the Car Care Council. So the Car Care Council actually did something kind of fun. They asked uh, people for a poll of which late night celebrities should uh, would they allow to work on their car. And um, uh, Jimmy Kimmel actually won with 27 percent of the time. It was actually Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon were so close. Um, but uh, the big point about it was how to find a good repair shop, and the Car Care Council had some great ideas. Uh, does the business employ ASE certified technicians? Is the shop and customer waiting area clean and organized? Are customers greeted in a friendly and respectful manner? This sort of sounds familiar. I know this guy on radio has been saying this for years. Does the business provide a written estimate? Does the business offer a warranty? Does the business have a list of satisfied customers or references that it's willing to give you? And, and those are all the things. That's all common sense. You know, the, the, the question I've got is, are, are any of you willing to take the time and do that? And, you know, you've got to do your homework. But finding a good mechanic today is, well, it's, 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 it's really worth the effort, and um, it's something that everybody's going to really need to do going forward. But that's, uh, that's from the Car Care Council, and uh, you'll find more, I believe it's carcarecouncil.org, um, if you want to read it in its entirety, that press release. So uh, we thank them for that. Until the next time, I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor, and I'm reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.